You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, some of you might, might be thinking, I didn't know there was a book in the Bible called the Book of Micah. And if that's the case, then you might want to open up to the very first book of the Bible called the Table of Contents. And, and that'll help you find the Book of, of Micah. And so uh, we're going to be in the midst of, of a two-week mini-series for Christmas that, that, that we're calling an Old Testament Christmas. So this morning we're going to be in Micah chapter 5, and then next week we'll be in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. So if you're one of those who do not know where the book of Isaiah is, you've got seven days to find that. And so, and so uh, today, Micah chapter 5. And the title of our message this morning in Micah chapter 5 is, is Small Town Christmas. Small Town Christmas. Uh, and so with that, let's look at the first five verses of Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Micah writes and says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who, who were too little uh, to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel." whose coming forth is from old and from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when, when she who is in labor has given, has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And in the majesty of, uh, of the name of the Lord is God, and they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great uh, to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is timeless. Your word is, is true, but not only that, it is, it is predictive and, 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 and prophetic. That, Lord, in the pages of your word, you have, you have written things uh, that, that were written centuries ago, but they were for the future. And in some cases, they're for us now. And so we pray that, that your word would speak to us here in this place today, Lord, that you would give us hearts to, 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 to be open and receptive to what you're going to say, ears that would hear it, but Lord, an eagerness to actually do what we hear. Lord, that we would take your word, we would apply your word, and we would live your word. So we pray that you'd speak to us now in Jesus' name, and everyone say it. Amen. So now, as I mentioned, the, 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 the title of today's message is Small Town Christmas. Because, you know, when you think about it, small towns can be known for big things, right? I mean, some of you, how many of you have heard of, of Chocolate Town, USA, the sweetest place on earth? If you don't know, Chocolate Town, USA is, is the small town of Hershey, Pennsylvania, which, as you might have guessed, is the, is the home of, of the Hershey Chocolate Factory itself. Now, in Pennsylvania, there's another small town uh, called Wyomissing. Now, Wyomissing only has a, a population of about 11,000 people, and yet this small town is world famous for being the birthplace and also the childhood home to perhaps the biggest entertainer of our generation, Taylor Swift. Or she's better known as Travis Kelsey's girlfriend. Um, <laughs> but this morning, the prophet Micah is prophesying that, 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 that the small and insignificant town of Bethlehem will become the birthplace of the Savior of the world. That literally, his birth will put them on the map. And so now, uh, as we go back now to, to verses 1 and 2, we discover that Micah's prophecy is a prophecy that's filled with, with, with contrast. A prophecy filled with contrast. And so verse 1 says again, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Now let's pause there. 
As I just mentioned, uh, this, this chapter, this prophecy of Micah, is a chapter that's filled with contrast. In it, we see that the contrast between dark versus light, uh, war versus peace, but perhaps the, the, the greatest contrast is the contrast between great versus small. The contrast between uh, strong versus weak, significant versus insignificant, reminding us that, that, that God often ordains the small. Even as we read in 1 Corinthians one twenty six and one twenty seven, uh, that tells us that God uses the weak to shame the strong. I like how, how Dr. Craig Dale put it when he said, when God shows up to do something for us, he often shows up in the unexpected. And that's what's happening in Micah chapter 5. He's showing up in the unexpected. Now we should know that Micah is writing these words some 700 years before Jesus was even born. And he's writing to two groups of people. He's writing to the people of Judah down in the south and to the people of Israel up in the north. And he's writing them because both groups have been sinning against God. They've been worshiping pagan idols. They're worshiping the gods of the Babylonians and the gods of the Assyrians. And as a result, because of their sin, because of their rebellion, Judah is going to be invaded by Babylon and Israel is going to be invaded by Assyria. And so Micah's prophesying this. But Micah is, is also in this prophecy encouraging the people that, that, that God is not going to abandon them forever. He's not going to leave them in their exile, leave them in their slavery forever. Because embedded in, in, in Micah's prophecy is, 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 is a promise. Embedded in Micah's prophecy is, is a message of good news. And it's the good news that, uh, that, uh, of the birth of a coming king. Uh, the, the, the birth of, of one who, who's going to come and, and restore God's people. One who would come and bring peace to God's people. But for now, there's darkness. There's, there's judgment. We see that again in verse 1, where he says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now some of your translations, uh, ours, uh, the one we just read, the ESV says, O daughter of troops, but uh, if you're reading from the NIV, the New International Version, yours would say city of troops. Now the reason for the difference, the reason some translations say daughter of troops and others would say city of troops is because it's understood by the scholars who translated the scriptures, it's understood that the phrase daughters of troops was a figure of speech. In fact, it was a well-known nickname uh, uh, for a famous city. It was actually the nickname for the city of Jerusalem. And, and so and, and, and Jerusalem is, is the capital city of David. It's, it's, the, it's the home of, of God's temple. And so Micah is, is letting the people of Jerusalem know that judgment is coming. He's saying to Jerusalem, the capital city, the, 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 the daughter of troops, as they were nicknamed, he, he's, he's telling them, you know what? Judgment is right around the corner. Invasion is around the corner. Because of your sin and your rebellion against God, judgment is coming. Now, in contrast to the city of Jerusalem being prophesied about in verse 1, in contrast to Jerusalem, we have the tiny city of Bethlehem. We have the great city, the, 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 uh, the capital city of Jerusalem, and now in verse 2, the tiny city of Bethlehem. As it says in verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Now, by the way, Bethlehem is, is a name that can be translated house of bread. It was, it was a farming city, an agricultural city. And, and Ephrathah is translated fruitfulness. 
And so on the one hand, we've, we've got the, the great city of, of Jerusalem, the capital city of Jerusalem, the golden city of Jerusalem. And then on the other hand, we've got the, the, the breadbasket of Israel, the farming village of Israel, this, this small, fruitful city. And, and so Micah's saying that, that, that out, of, out of the house of bread, out of the city of fruitfulness, is going to be birthed the coming king. And yet, it's interesting, it's almost as if Micah is, 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 is like, like trying to clarify which Bethlehem he's talking about. And he was. Because did you know there were actually two Bethlehems? Because just a little bit north, a few miles north of Jerusalem, there was another Bethlehem in the region of Zebulon. Now, this was, a, was kind of a suburb of, of, of Jerusalem. It was a bigger city. It was, it was hustling and bustling. They had a strong economy. And, and it was a well-known city. But, but Bethlehem of Ephrathah, was a small little farming village. It was, it was like a backwoods town, a little Hickville. And, and, and in fact, it was, it was so small, it was so, so remote, Siri probably couldn't even help you find it. And so it's almost as if Micah's writing us and he's like, no, not that Bethlehem, not the well-known Bethlehem, not the suburb of Jerusalem that everybody knows about. No, the, 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 the small farming town, the, the small town, the Hickville, you know, the, the backwoods little village. That Bethlehem, as he says again in verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who were too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. And so out of, out of this unlikely sleepy little farm town called Bethlehem would come the ruler of Israel. Out of, this, out of perhaps the least significant of all of the cities would come the one who was the most significant, the king himself, the king of kings. In fact, as we look now again at verse 2 and also verse 3, we discover the next contrast in Micah's prophecy, and it's the contrast of kings, the contrast of kings. Again, verse 2 reads, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who were too little among the clans of Judah, for from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And so now, again, we have the second contrast, and it's a contrast between kings. Now, by the way, the first king was mentioned back in verse 1. Because in verse 1, we, we read again, it said, now, after it says, we muster, sorry, now muster your troops, O daughter, or O city of troops. Siege is laid against us. It then says, with a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. That word judge, it can be translated ruler, it can be translated leader. It's talking about a king. And, and most scholars believe it was talking about the, the king of Judah at the time that they were being invaded by Babylon. And so many scholars believe that, that this was literally fulfilled when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, invaded Jerusalem in 586 BC. And when he did, he, he came in and he, and he took many of the Jewish people captives, brought them back to Babylon where they would live as slaves. And among them was the king of Judah. His name was Zedekiah. Now Zedekiah, uh, when, when he was captured, they, they tied him up, they bound him. And then Nebuchadnezzar paraded Zedekiah's sons in front of him one by one and then slaughtered, murdered each of his sons right in front of the king before his very eyes. And then after they murdered each of his sons in front of him, they then struck him in the face and then gouged out his eyes, blinded him. So that the very last image he ever saw was the image of his own sons being brutally slaughtered in front of him. That would be the last thing he saw with his eyes. 
And it's interesting because in many ways they, they would say that Zedekiah was blind even before he was blinded because this was a king who was turning a blind eye to the sin of the people of Judah. He knew they were in sin. He knew they were worshiping this God and that God and this pagan God and, and this God. And the, he knew their sin, but he refused to do anything about it. He turned a blind eye, and now in judgment, he was truly blind. And so now, in, in contrast to Zedekiah, who's being prophesied about in verse 1, now in verse 2, we have God's coming king. As it says again in verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel. From Hickville, Farmville, USA, will come the king of kings, God's king. And then it goes on in verse 2 to say, Who's coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now, that's how that reads in the ESV. If you're reading from the New King James Version, yours would say that his origins are from everlasting. Eternal. His origins are from everlasting. And so Micah is, is, is letting us know that, 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 that this is, is going to be that day when the everlasting one himself steps out of eternity and steps into earth. This is when God himself puts on flesh and lives among us. And of course, that's exactly what John's gospel talks about, right? John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word uh, was God. And then it goes on in verse 14 later to say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I'm often asked by people, you know, did, did Jesus have a beginning? You know, was there a point in time, was there a moment in time when, when Jesus was created as a, like a created being? Answer, no. Because, because the truth is, is that he's always been God. He's always existed. He is the pre-existent one. He's, he's, he's always been in heaven because he's God. The Bible says he, he has no beginning and he has no ending. And this is why Micah's prophecy is written this way. I'll read it again, but this time from the, from the New King James Version. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Out of you, Bethlehem, shall come forth one whose origins have been from everlasting. And so ultimately, the birth of Jesus in the manger was not the beginning of Jesus' life, uh, because again, he's always existed. He's the pre-existent one. Rather, the, the birth of Jesus in the manger, that was just the moment when, when, when the eternal one stepped out of eternity and stepped into earth when God became a man and dwelt among us. In fact, here's what Jesus said about himself. Jesus, in, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. And so we see that, that not only does Jesus not have a beginning, Jesus says he is the beginning. He says, I am the beginning and the end. He's God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Micah is prophesying that, that, that the eternal one, God himself, will come in the flesh. He will be the king of kings and he will come in person to the earth. And now as we pick it up in verse 4, Micah prophesies and tells us what kind of king he will be when he comes. 
And so in verse 4 it says, And he shall stand and, and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And so we have this contrast. There's, there's darkness, but in the midst of the darkness, the light of the world will come. And when he comes, he's coming as the king of kings, but, but he's, 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 he's coming uh, uh, to, to, in, in the flesh. The eternal one will, will live on the earth. And now Micah tells us the kind of king that it'll be when he comes. He tells us again in verse 4 that, that he will stand and shepherd his people. So ultimately, he's telling us that, that when, 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 when he comes, he's not going to be a tyrannical king who rules with an iron fist. He's not going to be the kind of king who, who lives to be served by his people. Rather, he's going to be the kind of king that's going to be a shepherd. He'll be a shepherd king who lives to serve his people. After all, Jesus himself said, I did not come to be served. I have come to serve I've shared this before, but, but uh, you know, there, there's a difference between Middle Eastern shepherds versus like Western ranchers. You know, in the West, ranchers will, will drive their cattle, right? They'll, they'll drive their herds. You know, they, they, they're, they're behind them and they're pushing them and they're driving them. Whereas in the Middle East, shepherds uh, lead their flock. They don't drive them from behind. They walk out in front of them and they, they call them by name and the sheep follow them. And the sheep trust them and the sheep know that they can trust them because they know that the shepherd is not taking them anywhere, that the shepherd himself has not first gone before them. I've shared with you before how, how a tourist was in Israel and, 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 and all of a sudden he sees this guy driving the sheep. Like, like, like ranchers drive cattle. So he runs up and he's like, wait a minute. I was always told that Middle Eastern shepherds, they don't drive their sheep like, 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 like cattle ranchers do. They, they lead them. They walk in front of them and they call them by name because, because the sheep know their shepherd's voice. The guy smiles and he says, well, that's true. That is how shepherds in the Middle East lead their sheep. He says, but I'm not the shepherd. I'm the butcher. Huh. And so Micah's prophesying that when he comes, he's not coming as the butcher. That when he comes, the king of kings is going to come, not as a tyrant king who's driving his people. He's going to come as the shepherd king who's leading his people. In fact, Jesus himself, in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9, it says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Then down in verse 11, it goes on and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, I remember the first time that Amy and I went, went to Israel. This was back in 1997. We were younger. And, but the first time we went there, we went to this amazing place called the, the Institute of Biblical Research. Now, unfortunately, they're, they're out of business today. But this was this amazing place where they'd go and, and do all this archaeological research and then they'd come back and rebuild and recreate these things for you to see them for yourself. And so one of the things that they rebuilt was, was a first century sheepfold. Now what the sheepfold looked like, it was a, it was a stone wall stood about, about, about three feet high or so and it'd be shaped in the, in the shape of a circle. And then along the top of it, they would have like, like briar or bush or, or thorn bush across the top of it that would serve two purposes. One, it was kind of like barbed wire, make it harder for the predators to get over. But then number two, you could light it on fire and scare the predators away. Now, as I said, it was in the shape of a circle, but it would have an opening. It had like this gap and there was no doorway. There was just this, this gap. 
Now, the researchers, what they did was they went out and they found that the Bedouin shepherds of modern-day Israel to this day still use the exact same kind of sheepfolds to this day. So they went out and they researched and they were interviewing a shepherd and his son. And all of a sudden, they, they said, well, well, where's the door? And the shepherd's son lays down across the gap, across the entrance, and he says, I am the door. And it was understood that no one's coming into that sheepfold unless they first go through the shepherd. No thief, no predator is getting in without going through the shepherd first. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, I am the door to the sheepfold. This is what Jesus meant when he says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And 700 years before Jesus was born, Micah was prophesying that was the kind of leader Jesus would be. He wouldn't come to drive his people. He would come to lead his people. He would lead them like a shepherd. In fact, Isaiah the prophet prophesies the same thing about Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, he says he tends his flock like a shepherd. And so there's these contrasts, there's darkness, there's judgment, but then the light of the world is coming. He's going to be the king of kings. And what kind of king? He will be a shepherd king who leads his people. And now finally in verse 5, we have the final contrast, and that's a contrast between fear and peace. Peace versus fear. Verse 5 says, And he shall be their peace. Now we'll pause there. I hope you know that, that the, the words on the page are inspired by God. The, the words in the Bible, that is the written word of God, these are inspired, spoken by God. The numbers, not so much. The numbers were added later by scholars and by monks. Some of them might have had too much communion wine while they were putting the numbers there. But, but, but the chapter numbers and the verse numbers, that wasn't there in the original manuscripts. That was just added later so that we could find it easier. But the words are inspired. And so on that note, I, as we look at verse 5, I think the rest of verse 5 actually fits better with verse 6. So therefore, for verse 5, we just simply read, and he shall be their peace. Again, this is a contrast. It's a contrast against verse 1. Remember those words back in verse 1 that we read where it says, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, or, or O city of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now that verse was, was, was all about fear. It was all about anxiety. It was all about dread. It was, it was about darkness and, 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 and judgment. As God's warning the people of this coming invasion. He's warning the people of this coming judgment because of their sin. And so that verse was about fear and darkness and anxiety. But in contrast to that, now in verse 5, there's a promise of peace. And he shall be their peace. And so ultimately, this, this shows us that, that God's plan for salvation, God's plan to save his people, was that he sent a baby, not a giant. He, he sent a shepherd, not a tyrant. That he saves not by might, but rather by his spirit. Even as it says in Zechariah 4.6, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so ultimately Micah is prophesying that out of the small cow town of Bethlehem is going to be born the king of kings. And he's prophesying of the one who, who, who is from everlasting, God himself, who will come in the flesh. And not only will he come in the flesh, but, 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 but when he comes, he's, he's coming. Yeah, he's going to be the king of kings, but he's coming as a helpless baby. And then ultimately, 
It's a reminder that he who was born to be the Christ child would come to bring peace. And now, 700 years later, Micah's prophecy is literally fulfilled when when Mary gives birth to the baby Jesus in Bethlehem. And many of us remember the account as it's recorded in Luke's gospel. Remember that we're told that that, that when Jesus was born, the angels appeared to to the shepherds in the field and they announced and they said, we bring good news uh, because in the city of David, the city of Bethlehem, a savior has been born unto you who is Christ the Lord. And then it goes on in Luke chapter two, verse 14. And the angels then say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Literally a fulfillment of Micah's prophecy that he came to bring peace. But it's interesting, in fact, somewhat ironic to think about. He came to bring peace, but when you think about it, it's been estimated that only 8% of all world history has ever been a time of peace. Only 8%. In fact, uh, over the last 3,000 years, did you know that more than 8,000 peace treaties have been signed and broken? In fact, since the year 3600 B.C., some 3,640,000,000 people have died in war. So we look at the times in which we live, you know, I mean, you know, we, we turn on the news and we hear about, about you know, uh, all, these, all these things, you know, gang violence and, and, and road rage and, and, you know, and think of all the, all the mass shootings of our day. And we hear about all these things and we can't help but to wonder that, that if Jesus came to bring peace, then why is there so much violence in the world? Well, think of it this way. Jesus didn't come to bring peace between man and man. Jesus came to bring peace between man and God. That's why Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible teaches us that, 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 that our sin is what separates us from God. And because of our sin, that basically makes us God's enemy, but that's why Jesus had to die on the cross. Because Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think of it this way. Jesus didn't come to conquer the world. He came to save the world. He came so that we could be right with God. He came so that we could have peace with God. Think of it this way. Jesus did not come to bring world peace. He came to bring heavenly peace. In that, he came to bring peace between heaven and earth. He came to bring peace between God and man. And so Micah is is, is prophesying that when that baby is born in the manger, he's going to be more than just a cute little baby in a manger, but this is the king of kings. And he came to save. He came to bring peace between man and God. And listen, that's good news, especially in our world. In a world like ours that's filled with fear, a world that's filled with anxiety, a world that's filled with with, with dread and war. I mean, every time we turn on the TV, there's another word. There's there's war between Israel and Hamas. There's there's war between Ukraine and Russia. And then then there's this threat of war and that rumor of war. And then on top of that, we live in a world of, 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 of economic insecurity. And then a world of, of, of political turmoil and, and, and this fear and that fear in a world like this, in, in, in a world of darkness, we have this promise from Micah that we can have true peace, internal peace, peace with God. In fact, even Jesus put it this way in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. 
Years ago, I read of a, of a missionary named Don Richardson. And, and, and Don Richardson was at the time serving as a missionary uh, to the primitive tribes in, in Papua New Guinea. Now, he, he records all of this in, in a book t- that he titled The Peace Child. And in the book, he talks about how he was trying to translate uh, the Bible into their native tongue, their native language. But he's having a, a very difficult time trying to find the right words to describe why Jesus ha- had to die for our sins. Why Jesus had to be put to death. And so he tried this word and that word, but, but he could find no words that really, really describe why Jesus had to die so that we could have peace with God. And then one day, he witnessed something. He talks about the, there, there were the two tribes of the Sawi people. Now, the Sawi were, 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 were headhunters and cannibals, and these two tribes had this bitter blood feud against each other for generations, meaning that the generation after generation after generation, they would plot and plan how they would attack and kidnap and, and torture and kill each other. And so until finally... He, Both chiefs of each tribe realize that if they keep doing this, if they keep attacking each other and killing each other, there'll be nothing left of either tribe. They'll both be extinct. And so they decide to come up with a peace treaty. And this is what Richardson witnessed. What he witnessed was the chief of one tribe ran into his hut, grabbed his newborn baby son, and, and ran out of the hut holding his son in his arms with his wife screaming behind him. And he comes to the chief of the other tribe, hands him his baby son. And now this other chief now adopts that son as his own son, and they call him the peace child. Because as long as the child lived, these two tribes would have peace with one another. It was in that moment that, 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 it, that it hit Richardson. He had the perfect word picture, the perfect analogy to describe why God sent his son for us. Because the Bible calls him the prince of peace. He is literally the peace child. God sent his son so that we could have peace with God. And so from Micah's prophecy, we learn that that without Jesus, there's there's darkness and judgment, but Jesus is the light of the world. We learn that that without Jesus, there's fear and anxiety, but, but Micah reminds us that Jesus will be your peace. That if you put your trust in him, you put your faith in him, you ask him to come into your life, he brings his peace with him. He said, peace I leave you and my peace I give to you. And so it reminds us that in a dark world like this, where there's fear around every corner, anxiety everywhere that you turn, in a world like this, you can actually have internal peace, real peace, peace with God through Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that in your grace, you gave your son, the peace child, if you would, that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life because the everlasting one, the eternal one, stepped out of eternity and came into our world and lived and died for us. We can now have peace with you. And maybe there's someone here this morning and that's what you need. Peace with God. Maybe there's anything in your life but peace right now. There's there's anxiety, financial turmoil, maybe divorce is looming, health threats are, are, are around the corner. It seems like you're getting hit from every side. And maybe you started to think to yourself, you know what? I, maybe, maybe I need to find some religion. You don't need to find religion. You, you need Jesus. You need him in your life. Because when he comes into to your life, he brings his peace with him. So if that's you, if you need peace with God, real peace, pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. 
I surrender my life to you. You gave your life for me, so I'm going to give my life to you. I don't know how this works, but by faith, I trust that if I believe in you, put my faith in you, your peace will fill me. So have mercy on me, forgive me, and and come into my life. Not only change my life, but give your life to me, a life that's worth living. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.